Part 2 of John Bull's Vineyard by Hubert de Castella. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3. Hors d'oeuvre. About the time of the gold fever, thirty years ago, the Count Lionel de Chabrion, a wild member of an illustrious French family, having ended an empty career by marrying a person of great celebrity and small virtue, known in Paris in those days as Celeste Mogador, was appointed by Napoleon III, Consul of France in Melbourne. His consort, shunned by Melbourne society, soon left him, returned to Paris, and reappeared amongst dubious notabilities in the avant-scene of the great theatres. Previous to her marriage she had written her memoirs, suppressed shortly after their appearance by the French police. She re-entered the literary arena and published a novel, the plot of which was laid in Victoria, Les Voleurs d'Or, full of guile and of disparagement of a land and people she had not known. I was on a visit to Europe at the time. Australia was dear to me. Its lovely climate, the transparent hues of its landscapes, the kind hospitality of its settlers, the great enterprise of its inhabitants, all were vivid in my mind. I felt compelled to attempt a rejoinder to the libel. I wrote a small book, Les Squatteurs Australiens, a collection of reminiscences only, but true and from nature. Hachette published it. Besides the novelty of the subject, descriptions of a life of ease and success, such as that of station owners whose properties, by the gold discovery, rose suddenly tenfold in value, had some charm for idle people in France, with a great desire for making fortunes. I do not say that many came to Australia on the strength of my little volume, although several did, who cannot today bear me any grudge for my prompting. But it is always interesting to hear of some corner of the globe where life is pleasant. On that account, especially as it contradicted the tales of bushrangers and gold robbers just in circulation, Les Squatteurs was a success. From the first I had asked for liberty to write without a very fixed plan, au gré du vent, au pas de nos chevaux, allons chez l'un et puis chez l'autre, a chatty book. This it was precisely that gained me some friends. I beg to be allowed the same liberty today. I was reproached formerly that I saw things couleur de rose. I have not now to speak of men enjoying on grassy plains the existence of the patriarchs of old, growing rich by sheer multiplication of sheep and cattle. Squatting is all but swept away from Victoria, but if we enter the houses of the hard toilers of the soil who have succeeded the squatters, ten, twenty and scores more perhaps, where there was only one homestead before, we have Australia Felix yet. Country life rests upon courage, patience and hope, all comprised in one word, contentment. A truthful sketch cannot produce a dark picture. Chapter 4. Fermentation We left our friend, the free selector, making his first vintage. This was just the departure from the even life, the beginning of his troubles. It was all easy on the previous year, with one cask only, the crop being so small he made no preparations. 
he only squeezed and crushed his grapes in a tub, putting the liquid into the barrel where it was to ferment. Not to lose any of the juice, he pressed the berries again and again between two boards, actually triturating them. Unconsciously, perhaps, he secured in his must all the elements of a good fermentation. Left to itself, the liquid turned into perfect wine. This was how Noah made his first jar, which was so good. How we made wine at Yering thirty years ago, when my brother's vineyard was only the one acre planted by William Ryrie. Since then, having had to operate upon very large quantities, upon tons and tons of grapes, piled upon a wine-press, or put into vats holding a thousand gallons of must each, like almost every one of our fellow-growers, for want of understanding at first the laws of fermentation, according as we chanced to obey them, we have met with alternate results, sometimes of success, and at other times of bitter disappointment. Wine is made in Europe in obedience to local traditions and customs, which vary in every country. Australian vignerons, being recruited from France, from Italy, Germany and Switzerland, each of them imbued with the methods of his province. The colonial growers, mostly new to the industry, found themselves in a babel of confusion. They resorted to books. Unfortunately, there the same discord prevailed. Operations recommended by one authority were disapproved of by another. The length of time the must should remain in the vats was fixed by some at five days, by others at eight, at twenty, and even at thirty days. As to the origin and cause of fermentation, all the savants disagreed, except in one point, in which they were all wrong, that the ferment was originally in the juice of the grape. It is only six or seven years ago since the great chemist, Louis Pasteur, settled this question, demonstrating where the ferment of the grape resides. To him is due the key to the understanding of all the traditional practices of wine-making. Pasteur, in his book, Study of the Beer, showed that there was no fermenting element in the juice of the grape, as universally admitted, but that the germs of fermentation floating in the air were deposited on the bloom, le phare, which covers the berries of the grapes, and that they were also on the stalks and leaves of the vine. He took successively a number of berries, washed off carefully the bloom with water, and dried them with a piece of linen. The must produced by crushing these berries did not ferment for several days, but fermentation was immediately established in it by the addition of a berry with its bloom, it was increased by the addition of more. To us in Australia this was a revelation. Unless that theory be of less importance where men follow the footsteps of their fathers, I cannot understand how there is no mention of this important experiment in so many books and periodicals on winemaking written since it was made public. I hope all this is not tedious to my reader. Whoever undertakes a visit to vineyards and wishes to witness the operations of winemaking must understand something of the laws which render them necessary. Must is the name given to the liquid resulting from the crushing of the grapes as long as it is not turned into wine. Mark represents the solid part, 
the skins and stalks remaining in the fermenting vat after the liquid is run off, or on the press after it is all pressed out. In all the former experiments made to prove the necessity of oxygen to give and develop the ferment, grapes having been crushed with their bloom, some of this bloom was always found in the must, hence probably the error that there was ferment in the must. The great practical point of Pasteur's discovery for the vigneron is that consequent upon the mode adopted to crush the grapes, more or less ferment can be present in the must, more or less chance of the wine being well made. Since the ferment is accumulated outside the skin of the berry, a must obtained by rapid pressure of grapes in large masses and run straight into large vessels, sometimes without skins, cannot ferment as thoroughly as that must, the result of the slow crushing of the grapes with hands and feet on plain surfaces, during which the bloom is rubbed off and immersed in the juice, this liquid itself all the while impregnated with air. In old times when labour was cheap, men plentiful and vintages days of merriment, all the operation were conducted so as to move about as much as possible the mass of grapes during the process of crushing them, experience having probably proved it useful before science demonstrated it as imperative. In the Grande Cru of France, crushing with the feet is still continued. Now machinery generally replaces manual labour, and the main object of every new invention is to expedite work. Powerful grape crushers are placed successively over each vat, over the wine presses for making white wine. They receive the grapes whole from the vineyard, and the berries passing between the two rollers, half of them only being crushed, fall into the vats or the press before air has had time to give the ferment or to fecundate it. If the quantity of ferment is insufficient to turn all the sugar of the must into alcohol, the wine remains sweet and liable to all sorts of alterations at a future time when air comes in contact with the dormant elements. Red wines and white wines are not made in the same manner, for the red, which takes its colour from the dark skins, the grapes are thrown, liquid and all, into open vat standing above or alongside the wine cellars. Stalks are sometimes eliminated, or partly so, they stimulate the fermentation, but the wine made with them, although firmer and later on better, requires more age. On this account, elimination of the stalks, which the French call égrappage, is often practised. Commerce wants wines soon ready for use. Even in wine countries, the old usage of laying by stocks of great years is passing away. The vault of the wine merchant is everybody's cellar. As to the length of time the wine is allowed to ferment in the vats, as we said before, it varies according to countries. In Burgundy, from two to eight days, in Bordeaux, from ten to twenty, in some warm districts, up to thirty days. France is looking forward to Algiers for the production of wine. I read in the report of a meeting of the Société Nationale d'Agriculture de Paris, held on the 5th of June 1885, that Mr. Bouchardat, a distinguished viticulturist, said, speaking of fine, rich Algerian wines, they must be left between 30 and 40 days to ferment in the vat. 
Let Australian and Cape vignerons take notice of this. White wine, at least where it is well made, is not fermented with the berries and stalks. It does not require colour from the skins, and the wine press, if properly used, extracts from the grapes all that is wanted. The mashed grapes are poured inside a wooden cage placed on a press, the juice running all the time through a gutter percher pipe, if practicable, direct into the cask in which it is to ferment. When the press is sufficiently full, boards are placed on top of the mass of grapes. Huge cross pieces of wood are adjusted on these boards, and a strong pressure from the top, by machinery more or less complicated, forces out the fleshy inside of the grapes, which is added to the juice that ran off first. When the mass of grapes is so compact that no juice can come out, the boards are removed and the mark stirred up in every way. After this, the boards are readjusted and the pressing resumed. The juice runs freely again. This is repeated until the mark is dry. It is for making white wines that Pasteur's discovery attains its full importance. In red wines, the stalks and skins of the grapes being left in the must, during fermentation, the bloom ferment, even if the must has not been long in contact with air, is at all events present in the vat. And, as there is oxygen in sugar, the fermentation is perhaps a question of time. Not so in making white wine. The must, as I have tried to explain, runs out immediately from the press and the skins and stalks remain in a compact mass. If that mass is not stirred up either before being put on the press or while on it, the bloom may be retained between the pulps, and if the liquid does not contain sufficient elements of fermentation, the wine turns bad. Chapter 5 Quotations Chavarondier, a French authority on winemaking, in a book published in 1876, therefore before Pasteur's discovery, begins as follows. The phenomena of vinous fermentation are yet enveloped in mystery, notwithstanding the eager researches of the most illustrious savants. Chemists do not agree on the nature of the ferment. Some affirm that it is an organised being, living, an animalcule. Others maintain that it is a vegetation, the manner in which the ferment acts on the must of grapes is explained in various ways, but the numerous theories proposed by the most renowned chemist rest only upon hypothesis and contradict each other. Science has not yet removed the veil which covers the phenomena of vinous fermentation. It remains a secret of the future. The correct knowledge of these phenomena would greatly advance enology, but whilst we wait for this, we can only study the development of vinous fermentation to direct it properly. Unfortunately, as I have already said, methods and teachings being so numerous and so different one from another, here began the difficulty for the Victorian grower. Vintage is not only the crowning time of a whole year's work, it is, at every recurrence, the confirmation of past successes or the destruction of slowly acquired reputation. Nothing is more painful than hesitation, nothing more certain to bring forth a catastrophe. 
the timid driver who holds in his trembling hands the reins of four-spirited horses is sure to capsize his chariot. So it has been with many of us here, standing puzzled before our yawning vats with our heads full of entangled theories. Be not surprised, therefore, if I linger upon the benefit conferred upon the wine-grower by Pasteur. I have near me a book, La Vigne et le Vin, published in Paris in 1884, purporting to be the resume of ten different works, which makes no mention of his experiment. Should I be the first to express, not the scientists, but the workmen's, the vigneron's gratitude to Pasteur, John Bull may be pleased that the acclamation started from his plantation of yesterday, and I trust it will be re-echoed on the slopes of every vineyard. It is very interesting to consider, in the light of the new discovery, certain ancient practices which were perhaps of importance everywhere, and which must be so to Australia's vineyards, as we shall see them presently illustrated in the rudimentary cellar of a Victorian farmer at Cagnapella on the Murray, where we shall find a magnificent wine made à la façon ancienne, under scanty circumstances. Le Vicomte de Venette Lamotte, one of the most distinguished viticulturists, describes from an old Burgundy manuscript how wine was made in years gone by. On the day following the gathering of the grapes, a man strong and active is sent naked into the vat, even two men, if it is a large one. They agitate, move about the grapes, crush them in every way. It is not their fault if there is a single berry left whole. This work lasts four or five hours. They come out of the vat only when all the grapes are converted into liquid. When the grapes floating on the liquid show that fermentation is established, the men repeat the crushing. Twelve or fifteen hours after the vat has been filled, the must is racked off and the mark put on the press. If the weather be cold, three crushings, foulage, are effected instead of two, and the grapes remain up to 36 hours in vats. Another way of making wine still in use in Lorraine is quoted by Vergnette Lamotte. It consists in stirring up the mashed grapes for 48 hours after they are brought to the vat. This is effected with shovels, and wine made in that fashion is called in the country Van de Pelle, shovel wine. It is said to be more alcoholic and more agreeable than wine made in the ordinary way. It takes four men to stir about, during 48 hours, the grapes necessary to make a thousand gallons. After describing these practices, Vignette Lamotte says, From these facts, acknowledged true in every vignoble, we conclude that must should be well aerated in order that fermentation be well established in the vat. But what is alcoholic fermentation and how does it act? Here we adopt the theory of Cagnard Latour and Turpin. And for us, fermentation is due to the development of globules which, in the course of their life, consume the sugary matter and produce alcohol and carbonic acid. Are the germs of these globules in the air? Two facts support this theory. First, the moving about and the stirring up of the must, which contributes to good fermentation. Next, Guy Lussac's experiment, which has demonstrated that must cannot ferment without air. On the other hand, sugared water, 
as far as we are aware, does not ferment, except yeast is added to it. When grapes are crushed, small flossy elements of yeast can be observed in the must. Is that ferment in the berry of the grape, as in the grain of barley, or is it a spontaneous generation? Pasteur gave the answer to that question. He set at rest the uncertainty of the winemakers. So long as there was a possibility of spontaneous generation, they could only hope and pray to get it. Now it is within their positive reach, a matter of common sense. Two distinct methods, both answering the same object, namely the immersion of the ferment in the must, are at the choice of the vigneron for making red wine. The one already described, the long fermentation of skins and all in the vat, which takes more tannin, more colour, more extractive matter from the grapes, and preponderates in old established wine countries. The other, the primitive way, complete trituration of the grapes in their juice and fermentation of that must, well impregnated with the bloom, without any solid matter, in a cask instead of in the vat. In both cases, the act of fermentation, which is long and easily disturbed, must be religiously left to accomplish itself. If the first method, the fermentation in the vat, be adopted, it requires skill to rack off at the proper time, because the duration of the fermentation depends upon many circumstances. Once in its full force, it must be left to accomplish itself undisturbed. If the wine be racked off before all the sugar is turned into alcohol, it remains sweet for ever. This is the danger for rich musts, and it is why Monsieur Bouchardin recommends for Algiers a fermentation of from 30 to 40 days. It is also why many writers assert that the only safe rule is to run off the wine when it is cold and clear. For warm countries, where the sun gives deep black colour to the grapes, where temperature ensures immediate fermentation, and for farmers who have insufficient plant, the second system is the easier. Let the crushed grapes steep for a night in their juice. The next day, agitate them, as did our ancient Burgundian, or our modern Lorraine with his spade. If the grapes are the Pinot Noir or Shiraz, which flourish in Australia, the skins have imparted sufficient colour to the must. When fermentation sets in, and before it is dangerous to check it, rack off, press the mark quite dry, put all the juice in the same cask and leave it for 30 days. After that time, more especially if you are in a very warm region, hold a lighted match over the bunghole. If it is extinguished by carbonic acid, leave the wine alone. The animalculi ferment are yet at work. It is only when the match burns inside the cask that you can be sure that your wine is made. White wine must be rapidly made in order to avoid the darkening of the must and mark of white grapes, which a long contact with air always produces. Three hours of foulage and five hours of steady and hard pressing, and the result will be a solid and transparent wine of the pale greenish hue of the aquamarina, or the yellow of a topaz. Perhaps the slight crushing of black grapes, used sometimes in making champagne, may be given by some as an example against what we have said about the necessity for moving about the grapes. Yet even for champagne making, the complete aeration of the must is necessary. Without exception, 
The best author on that manufacture is Montmenet. Here is what he says on the question of preliminary crushing, foulage. It should be written in large letters on the wall of every cellar. Number 299. Foulage must be effected in all cases with an attention of which the importance has not been hitherto appreciated. It is not a purely mechanical process, as many take it. It is rather a chemical operation, the object of which is to bring all the parts of the grape into contact by the tearing up of the vegetal cellulae, which keep them separated. Another object, not less important, is to expose the must to air, so that it absorbs all the oxygen necessary to constitute the ferment. Too much care cannot be given to dissolve air in the must during the foulage. It should be agitated, divided in the air several times, so as to multiply as much as possible the points of contact. Number 300. When black grapes are crushed to obtain white must for making sparkling wine, this absorption of air must be made as complete as possible. The indispensable conditions are the following. The juice must be in all parts, in contact with air at the moment of its formation. To arrive at this, one can frequently suspend the operation of pressing and turn over the grapes with a fork a number of times to give air. The action of air, which must be so carefully avoided later on in the wine, cannot be too much provoked in the juice of the grape, dans le jus de raisin. Alas, until we learn from Pasteur the true cause of the ferment, the last few words caused us to partly misapply the perfect practice indicated above. We thought too much of the juice, and not enough of the skins of the grapes. O oh, ye enterprising growers of Australia, far apart and far away from school, ye growers of the Cape of Good Hope, whom your Mr. Silberbauer represented the other day at your meeting in London as having had no encouragement for two hundred years, ye Californian generals and senators who plant vineyards by the thousand of acres to a single man, all of ye join in gratitude to Pasteur. End of part two.